welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? This is Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 42 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thank you so much for making this a part of your weekly routine. My goal is to help you train not just harder for your next OCR, but as smart as possible, keeping you injury-free and making sure you dominate your next race. Uh, If you want to check out the show notes for any links mentioned in this episode, head over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 42. I wanted to send a big congrats to everyone that competed in the uh, Spartan World Championships in Lake Tahoe, as well as the OCR World Championships up in Canada. Uh, Unfortunately, I couldn't make it, but it just looked like loads of fun. Definitely some challenging stuff out there. So I hope you guys uh, are really proud of your accomplishment. And if you didn't get to do it like me, hopefully you're planning on a uh, 2018 uh, race there at either one of those races. Um, One of the reasons that I couldn't make it there is my travel schedule has just been insane. I feel like I've been all over the place. Um, I've been to uh, Chicago and and Minneapolis most recently, and now I'm I'm heading back on the road pretty soon just to to let you guys know where I'll be heading to. Uh, I'll be in Philadelphia from November November 2nd to November 4th at the FMS Level 1-2 Combo Workshop there. For any trainers in the area, it's an awesome workshop workshop and I highly recommend checking that out if you've never attended it before Uh, and then I'll be presenting uh, in Milwaukee uh, November 11th and I'm going to be doing a a one-day workshop on functional fitness and then again I'll be in Phoenix November 18th uh, and there we're going to be doing a one-day workshop on posture mobility and performance so any trainers or coaches listening in that are in that area uh, definitely check out some of these workshops they're a lot of fun some great info and um, I'll put some links in the show notes if you are interested you can see how to register for these events. Uh, Some other upcoming news. Uh, You probably have seen the new uh, Spartan Virtual Challenge, which is pretty cool. So they're going to be doing a worldwide uh, virtual kind of burpee test. And uh, the workout has been posted. It's a 400 meter run plus 30 burpees. And you're going to do that four rounds per time. It is going to be a race burpee, uh, race burpees, so chest to floor and then jumping at the top and clapping overhead. Uh, so that's one of those workouts where it doesn't look terrible when you see it written down on a piece of paper, but I have a feeling that's going to be pretty brutal, especially if you are competing four times. So you can do that one for fun. If you want to be a little competitive, you can pay to enter. I think it's $20 and you can kind of see how you compete and how you rank uh, with other participants. And if you want to go kind of into an elite category, you can actually uh, go see a SGX coach. And if they um, can verify your workout, then you can be listed on that elite competitive category and even qualify for the 2018 Spartan North American Championship, so something new that they're they're doing for next year. So this event is going to take place uh, anytime between November 5th through November 12th. You'll have to complete the workout and get it entered in. Um, if you're in the SoCal area, we're going to be doing this at our studio um, on both November 5th and November 12th. So if you want to come by and check it out, again, I'll put some links in the show notes all about the challenge, but looks like it'll be a fun, fun workout and uh, kind of see what you guys are made of. So as we kind of getting close to coming to an end to 2017, this is a great time to uh, really to do two things to, you know, you probably don't have too many races coming up uh, this year. We're starting to look ahead to 2018. 
And, um, but first take a look back and see how did this year turn out for you? Was it as you expected? Were there some, uh, hiccups along the way? Did you have some injuries? Uh, did you have your best race yet? Um, take a look back and see what worked well, what didn't work well. Cause now we want to look ahead to 2018 and start figuring out what's your plan. Do you want to uh, maybe do a trifecta for the first time or do multiple trifectas or you want to check out some different obstacle course races or maybe you want to um, uh, peak for a specific race or qualify for world championships or whatever it might be. Maybe you just want to stay healthy. Maybe you're battling injury after injury this year and that's not really what you had in mind uh, for your 2017 season. So we want to make sure we, we train a little bit smarter for 2018. So take a look back and see what could you have done differently. And now let's plan ahead for 2018. And I want to make sure that these podcasts that I'm releasing, I'm giving you some great tips and strategies to help you plan ahead and, and really come up with a solid program and not just go work out to work out with no plan. And then injuries pop up or you, you don't do as, as expected, whatever it might be. So take the time. It's not something that most people will do, but really plan ahead and see what what do you want to accomplish and how are you going to get there and, and then just start to develop develop the plan. So speaking of planning for your uh, next year's race season, uh, I did want to let you know I have a new blog post up. Um, again, I'll put the link in the show notes for it, but it's all about your running program. And just hopefully one thing I hope you get from listening to this podcast is to start creating more of a program, um, more of a system and not just doing random workouts that you see. Everything should fall into line with your uh, what you're working on and, and trying to achieve a specific goal and your running program is no different and we should have a very specific plan that you're following. So um, I, I created a or I wrote a, a, an awesome blog post on really what your running program should look like and the different styles of workouts that you should be including in your program. And uh, so head to the show notes and you can check that out. Uh, there is a, a, a promotion I'm running right now too that you'll see in there um, I talk a lot about heart rate training, and that's actually we're going to talk a lot about in this episode, how important it is to track your heart rate while you're, you're training. And if it's not something that you have, I highly recommend you heading out and picking up uh, some type of heart rate monitor. Um, but I've recently been working with my zone heart rate monitors, and I, I absolutely love them. And it's a great way for me to work with my clients and track what they're, what they're doing, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and really give them some better feedback on their programs. So right now, what I'm doing is... If you uh, go to that blog post in the, and, uh, again, go to the show notes and uh, read through the post, you're going to get some great ideas there. And if you don't have a heart rate monitor and you're thinking about picking one up, there's a link in there that you can get $50 off of my zone heart rate monitor. And if you uh, pick one up using that link that you see in there, and, and yes, I, I'm an affiliate, so I will make a, a commission. Uh, but uh, if, you, if you get that, that discount through that link and send me the receipt, I'll actually coach you for two weeks and give you some feedback on your workouts as you, as you do and wearing your heart rate monitor. So uh, just uh, visit the show notes, check out that blog post, and then click on the link and, and you can learn more, more about that. All right, with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. Up first, I have SGX coach Juan Pablo Arias from Mexico, who's going to give us the race recap for the Spartan World Championships in Lake Tahoe just a couple of weeks ago. And in our research review, we're going to talk about all, all about one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies uh, in the world, and that's iron deficiency, and how, one, how it's going to affect you as an endurance athlete if you do suffer from it. And uh, we're also going to talk about how to maximize your absorption of, of iron. Uh, it's one thing to, to consume it, but there's some things that actually will help you uh, actually absorb more of that iron. And then finally, in our coaches 
interview I have on Coach Dan Schamberg from Shift Fitness, and we're going to talk about the importance of metabolic testing, as I mentioned earlier, using heart rate to really guide your training and figuring out specific numbers that you should be hitting. We're going to get into what high-intensity training actually means and how you can actually uh, involve it in your program and not just simply guess and, and feel like you're working out hard, but really knowing what high-intensity means for you. And then on the other opposite uh, end of the spectrum, what low-intensity means and the importance of incorporating that into your program. So really a great interview giving you some awesome tips on how to set up your running program to be as effective as possible and really improve your, your running performance. All right, so let's get into this week's episode. Hello Spartans, it's me Juan Pablo Arias and I'm from Mexico City. I work as a chemistry junior high school teacher and as a fitness instructor in different gyms here in the city, teaching group, group classes. Also, I'm a Spartan SGXL2 coach, and I have my own team, and I collaborate with other Spartan SGX coaches here in Mexico. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Mike, for this opportunity to recap what it was the Spartan Beast World Championship at North Lake Tahoe, the past, <coughs> sorry, the past Saturday, September 30. I have to mention that it was an unique race independently the obstacles or the course. That's because you were surrounded by many of the best Spartan racers and OCR races from all over the world, sharing the same route. At the starting point of the race, you can see faces of emotion, of chill, some nerves, and the smiles. And we all started running with an unison haru. In that moment is where the challenge began. We all went by a course filled with trail running, with incredible landscapes to enjoy while you were running. Long hikings that can play with your mind to make you doubt if you were in the right place but there's always a spartan that pushes you up to continue the obstacles were in a strategic order as an example the first quarter of the course there were the first water obstacles yes as you heard water obstacles such as the ape hunger that if you didn't pass you fell into water and then the dunk wall that will make many of the most prepared Spartans to get cramped at the slip wall. The wind after this point made it a little difficult to recover your temper temperature. So if you tend to get cold easy, a pair of gloves and a windbreaker is a great idea to continue with the challenge. After this if you haven't recovered from water and your body temperature, the obstacles such as the wall and the first sandbag will be a little demanding for your legs. So the option is continue moving and it is as easy as doing some burpees. Yeah, I know we all love burpees, don't we? Well, as we continue with the course, we found obstacles such as Olympus that was that has more length a lake where you have to swim so prepare your mind to feel cold as never felt before at, 
And at the last part of the obstacle course, we had the rope climb, the incredible Yokohama tires. So it's a, it's a great idea to practice your deadlift. The cargo net, that it was higher than normal, a bridge, another Hercules hoist. Yes, as you heard, another one. This was one of the obstacles that were twice during the course, such as the traditional Spartan race spear throw, the bucket brigade. In this one, make sure you fill it up to the mark and get at the end of the road, fill it, filled it up. And sandbag carries. And two of the obstacles that always change in a Spartan race is the multi-rig. So for this one, practice different grips, hang yourself in many places you find daily, enjoy it. And a creation of the for the world championship that it was the twister monkey bar first bail twister again. This obstacle could make you do from 0 burpees to 60 burpees, depending in which part of it you fail or pass it. If you want to race this race next year, don't think it twice. It's one of the races that you must do once in your life. So if you decide, if you decide to do it, here are some tips I can share with you. First of all, Get out and leave your TV room and your house coach and start moving. Then ask for help. Asking to a certified Spartan SGX coach will be a great option. So he will guide you, he or she will guide you with the best preparation. Commit with yourself and your goals. It is the only way and with discipline to get there. Finally, uh, as a recommendation of myself, uh, invest in a good pair of shoes, try them when you are buying them, feel comfortable with them. They will be with you for more than 16 miles, so it has to be the best decision for you and your feet. If you are not used to cold, a windbreaker, a pair of gloves, a booth, a beanie cap will be a great option. And use Ziploc bags to make them stay dry if you have to go into water. Yes, you must try during the week, take some cold showers. That will make easier to adapt to cold. Buy an hydration bag and fill it with electrolytes, some chocolate, protein bars or energy gels. So if you feel hungry, recover some energy. It is useful as well as having magnesium, potassium and sodium pills, but try them first days <coughs> days before or weeks before the race to see how you have to dosify yourself. Well Spartans, this was my recap for an amazing Spartan race. I have to mention that it was my first world championship race in my life and I'm planning to do it again next year. And why not trying it? in the Ultra Beast. So my name is Juan Pablo Arias. I live in Mexico City and you can find me in Facebook as Juan Space Pablo Space AF the AF together and in Instagram as Juan underscore Pablo underscore AF29. It will be a pleasure to help you 
if there is any doubt or question. Thank you very much, Mike. Aru Spartans. All right, it is time for our research review. And as I mentioned earlier, I want to talk about iron deficiency and anemia. And I know this might be not might not be the most exciting uh, topic to talk about, but iron deficiency is one of the most common deficiencies that we're going to see. And when you have iron deficiency and, and or anemia, this can lead to a ton of problems, especially for endurance athletes. Um, so an, anemia is basically you have low hemoglobin levels and hemoglobin is an iron rich protein that's in the blood that transports oxygen uh, throughout the body. Uh, and obviously if you don't have enough of this to get the oxygen to the muscle cells that need it to perform whatever exercise or activity that you're doing, this is going to be a huge problem. And many of the signs of iron deficiency and, and anemia is uh, chronic fatigue, um, uh, breathlessness, lightheadedness, cold hands, cold feet, um, all things like this. So you'll even see like pale skin. Um, so th this is a big problem and you're not going to be able to perform at your best. And I've talked about this on, on previous podcasts because this is something I've actually had, I've been diagnosed with where I had blood work done and they found these low hemoglobin and, and other blood markers that were showing signs of anemia. And I'll put the link in the show notes where I talked to a uh, registered dietitian, Anne LaRue, and we talked specifically about sports anemia uh, that is, is common when people are participating in long endurance type events where it's not your typical type of anemia, but it's just how your body's adapting to uh, this type of performance. And it's something you really have to pay attention to because you're, you are going to feel fatigued. You're not going to be able to perform uh, up to your capacity if you're not paying attention to your diet and your training and kind of take on too much and you're not filling your body with the nutrients that it needs. Um, and iron is an essential, an essential mineral that you have to take in through your diet. So what, what are some causes of iron deficiency and anemia? So um, your one just could be like an iron deficient diet where you're just not getting enough sources of, of iron into your, your daily, daily routine. Uh, could be a vitamin deficiency. So uh, iron as well as uh, B vitamins like B12 and folate are used to produce more red blood cells. So the red blood cells are produced in bone marrow and they use things like iron and B vitamins. So that's why it's so important to get them in all of these uh, nutrients in with your diet. If, if you don't, uh, then you're going to have a hard time producing red blood cells, which means you're not going to have uh, uh, enough oxygen going through the body to support support whatever activities that you, you may be doing. Um, so it's, it, it is critical that we get it in our, our diet. So we have different sources of iron. There's um, heme sources and non-heme sources. So heme would be our best sources. We are going to absorb them uh, the most. So uh, those are going to be more of your animal-based uh, foods, like your, your meats and your fishes, poultries, livers. Uh, foods like that are going to be high, higher in iron, and we're going to be able to absorb the iron in that food much better than our non-heme sources, which would be like our plant-based, uh, like our vegetables, our spinach, uh, beans, things like that. So they're both good. It's just uh, remember that those non-heme are not as well absorbed, much less. You're going to see like three to 5% of the iron in those foods absorbed uh, versus up to like 25% in our heme sources. So the big difference there, but if you know, you're not a meat eater, uh, you still have options. Just know you, those are not the best sources of, of absorbable iron. Um, 
one thing I do want to mention, and uh, again, check out that podco- uh, podcast I did with uh, Anne LaRue. She, she talks a lot about this stuff in there. Um, but we, she, one thing she does talk about, and it's well, very well documented, is that getting uh, these iron sources with vitamin C is going to be very important because that is actually going to increase the uh, absorption of, of iron from those foods. So I, I just want to mention why I'm talking about this in the first place, because iron deficiency is not something that's talked about a whole lot. But when you're training for uh, obstacle course races that are longer distances, we need every advantage we can get. And if you have low iron levels or potentially even anemia, you are at a huge disadvantage and you could train harder and harder and harder. And that might not actually get you what you need and simple changes in your diet uh, might actually be all it takes to see these dramatic improvements uh, if you have a deficiency like this. So I, I wanted to talk about a study that actually just came out this year from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that wanted to look at um, non-heme sources of iron and and tea. Now there are certain foods. So I mentioned vitamin C, foods that are high in vitamin C increase absorption of, of iron. There are some foods that will actually uh, inhibit the absorption or decrease it. Uh, things like coffee and tea are, are some common foods that will actually reduce the absorption rate of, of iron. So this particular study wanted to look at how does tea affect absorption. And really, they want to look at what are the interval intervals that we can use so we can make sure if you are going to consume things like tea, uh, we can still have have it, but not affect our iron absorption. So what they did with the, the subjects in this study was they kind of gave them three scenarios. Um, so they had a, a porridge that was higher in iron, and they served it at different times. So uh, one part was they served it with water. That was kind of the control group. They just wanted to see how was that iron absorbed in the body when it was just consumed with water. Uh, in the second phase, they had that same porridge, but they did it with tea, and they wanted to see how the tea reduced the absorption rate. And then in the third scenario, they had it, uh, the iron, but then they held off with the tea and they had it about an hour later. And they wanted to see how the absorption rate uh, went in those three situations. And there were pretty much were no surprises here, but they found uh, with the um, iron, with, uh, with the tea an hour after, they actually saw a, reduction, a 50% reduction in the inhibitory effect of tea. So they saw the most reduction in iron absorption when iron when the porridge was consumed with the tea, um, but they saw a 50% decrease in that effect that the, the tea had on iron when you just waited an hour. Uh, so they, they saw a reduction of 37% when tea was consumed with the porridge versus 18% when the tea was consumed an hour later. All right, so basically what it's saying is make sure you're careful with what types of foods you're having with your iron sources. So if you know this is an issue for you, make sure you're waiting uh, at least an hour either before or after if you're going to have tea with your high iron sources. So uh, this is one thing that I paid attention to because I knew I was having some some issues with anemia. Uh, a, A combo that I would often do is eggs with spinach in the morning with coffee and a simple thing I did to change that up since coffee was affecting the absorption I, uh, rate I would have with the iron in the spinach I would make sure either an hour beforehand or an hour after I would have my coffee and in fact I would wait try and wait an hour after if, if possible um, so I can consume that iron absorb as much as I could from that non-heme source and then have my coffee later uh, so just some things to, to think about so get your your iron rich foods um, whether it's it's from those um, meats, fish, 
poultry or um, or your vegetable base, however you're going to do it. But no, if you are primarily consuming more non-heme sources, they are harder to absorb. So you definitely want to um, not have uh, consume it with anything that will slow down that absorption rate like tea or coffee. So hopefully that helps you out. So again, just thinking about some simple things you can do to change up your nutrition plan that will really help maximize your absorption rate of these different nutrients and then ultimately uh, maximize your performance out in the race. All right, in this week's coaches interview, um, as I mentioned, I have on Dan Chamberg, who is the owner of Shift Fitness, which is a group fitness and strength and conditioning business in Carlsbad, California. And I recorded a, um, a, a talk we had about some, uh, metabolic testing that he performs and actually he has done on me a couple of times now. And this is just such a cool thing that you can do. And I just wanted to pick his brain a little bit and actually go over some of the results that I had from this program because I know you guys will learn a ton of information from it. But a little bit about Dan, he completed his master's degree in exercise physiology from the University of Tennessee. Um, while he was at the University of Tennessee, he was the assistant strength and conditioning coach for the University of Tennessee Lady Volunteer uh, strength and conditioning department. He has uh, a, a really strong passion for endurance running and really ultra endurance running. So uh, a couple of things that he's accomplished. He he did the last annual uh, Ball State Road Race, which was a, a 500 kilometer race, which is pretty pretty insane. He finished uh, eighth overall. Took him five days, two hours, and 57 minutes. Uh, he's done the San Diego 100 mile endurance run, uh, Pacific Crest Trail uh, Trail 50 mile run, Badwater Salton Sea 81 miles, uh, and the Big Dog Backyard Ultra Run uh, coming up. Actually, uh, as we speak, he's out there running it, uh, or will be running it right now. So uh, he knows what he's talking about with these these in, uh, ultra endurance events and really preparing your body and really getting. Um, down to the nitty gritty with your your training program. So I wanted to get him on here and and talk about some of the things he does for himself, he does with his clients, and then uh, some things he recommended for me uh, to help me out with my burning program because it's something that I, I know I, I need some some help with and it is definitely one of my weaknesses in this whole uh, OCR world. So um, so I go I hope you guys really enjoy this interview. All right, guys, what's up? It is time for the coach's corner. And up this week, I have Coach Dan Schamberg with Shift Fitness. How are you doing today, Dan? Doing good, Mike. Awesome. So Dan's going to fill us in on some really interesting things, uh, really specifically about uh, our running programs and how we can just be smarter and more efficient about our, our training, some of the mistakes that a lot of people get into, and uh, really some testing procedures that, that you, you can go through. Um, we'll talk more about that. Um, but Dan has a pretty extensive background in, in exercise science. Went to the University of Tennessee. We won't hold that against him, but um, he still Not did. At all. <laughs> uh, uh, is a wealth of knowledge and has a, a tremendous amount of experience in in running and, and actually in, in, in uh, ultra endurance running. So, uh, Dan, just fill us in a little bit about your your background and kind of how you you took this path to where you are right now. Yeah, how I got here. It's kind of a combination of you know I have a master's degree in exercise physiology from University of Tennessee. Um, and a lot of the professors there, their their emphasis is on VO two max testing, and and <clears throat> and I also worked in the strength conditioning department at the University of Tennessee, and so that the exercise physiology combined with the strength conditioning kind of developed my passion for you know the fitness industry, and then I've always enjoyed running, and then that kind of later on uh, I started doing half marathons and marathons, and then I started reading books about uh, ultra marathon man Dean Karnazes 
I don't know if you've heard of him. No, I haven't. Actually, um, one of the first guys, you know, from one of the first mainstream popular ultra marathon runners mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm. you know, would run a marathon. I believe in every uh, state and every day he would, you know, he's done like the Badwater events. Just mm-hmm. kind of a guy that just one day woke up, started running, and mm-hmm. uh, I, thought, oh, I can do some of that stuff. And then the next thing you know, I did you know some marathons and then a fifty k, a fifty miler. You know, a hundred kilometer race, a hundred miler, and uh, even up to 300, 314 miles, about five hundred kilometer yeah, endurance I, races. I remember when I first heard you training for that one. I was like, I think he means something other than what he just told me. But five hundred kilometers. Yes, pretty... five hundred kilometers is it's a multi day event, um, so it's not where you're just you know you're going to go for a certain uh, speed or time. I mean, you have to be really able to focus on. The long-term aspect mm-hmm. of the race, but that also affects the way you train. Yeah, kind of you know what we're going to talk about today. But you know, I am kind of a beginner still in the ultra endurance uh, sp- sporting world. I've only been doing them since two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's a sport um, that's I, I don't want to say new because it's been around a long time, but I think mm-hmm. it's just getting more mainstream with um, books like Born to Run, where that became so popular yeah. and people. You know, when I read that book, um, I'll always kind of say that I'm not a runner, but when I read that book, it, it's inspiring, and it's something that makes you want to get out there and let me see what I can do. I don't know if I ever want to do a 100-mile <laughs> race, but I find myself doing way more running, and I feel better about it. Um, but I, we've been talking about doing this interview for a long time, and yeah. it, luck, luckily uh, it finally worked out that our schedules matched up, um, because we did we did some testing about a year ago, and when I first started getting into uh obstacle course racing, um, I, I really took to it, and I've always, like I said, I, I claim that I'm not a runner. I'm, I'm okay, but um, I took to the obstacles, basically, where I, I love that challenge. I love getting through there, uh, and then when I started, you know, getting that competitive drive and seeing how many people were beating me, and I knew I can't really get through the obstacles any faster. I'm, I'm not missing them, so I know my weakness is that running, so when we first did a, this testing, it basically opened my eyes like, hey, I can't just go out. Well, one, I have to run more, more yeah. than I'm running. I can't just magically get better at running by hoping I'm, yeah. I'm going to do it. Well, that's the thing with the obstacle course races that, you, you know, it's not just running. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you do have to run from obstacle to obstacle, but then you have to have the strength mm-hmm. and the ability to do the obstacle and then have the endurance and that aerobic capacity then to keep running. Exactly. Again, yeah. you know, that, I mean, you're never going to see me do an obstacle course <laughs> race. You know, you tell me to run 100 miles, I'd rather do that than than uh, the races that you do. but um, Well, we'll do one obstacle course race together we keep talking about, and that's the beer mile. The beer mile. Well, there's no obstacles in Well, well yeah, drinking a beer, we can call it an obstacle. For some. Yes. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, so let's get into this testing that we okay. keep, keep talking about. So what, what is metabolic testing? So metabolic testing is basically, well, there's two types that, that I do. There's one, there's resting metabolic or resting you know, RMR testing, and uh, we're measuring your energy expenditure at rest. So basically, you sit in a chair. We put the uh, gas exchange analyzer, turn it on. You know, attach you to a hose. You breathe through the hose. It's going to measure, you know, your breathing, the amount of oxygen that you're consuming, right? And from there, we can calculate things like your resting metabolic rate. Uh, and then we also measure the amount of CO2 that you're exhaling. And from that, we can kind of determine not only how many calories you're burning at rest, but also the type of calories you're using, you know, fats, carbohydrates, what percentage of each mm-hmm. uh, at rest. And that's really good for helping people, especially lose weight. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I'm sticking to 1,500 calories a day, you know, as an example. 
but I'm not losing weight, well, then we can say, hey, your body burns sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, at rest, you're burning 90% sugar. Mm-hmm. But that should be the opposite. It yeah. should be 90% fats. You know, the more efficient you are, yeah. uh, the easier it is to, to, to lose weight. So then we say, all right, not only do we need to worry about how many calories you're taking in, we need to, to adjust the type of calories you're taking in, you know, reducing sugars most mm-hmm. likely. Mm-hmm. But also it gives us insight into somebody's training habits. It says that they have a, probably a really poor aerobic base. Mm-hmm. So then... As a coach, I can not only give them recommendations for nutrition, but exercise recommendations to yeah. then. So you're not, yeah, yeah, fifteen hundred calories, but now it's become more efficient. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's something we've talked a, a little bit about on some previous mm-hmm. episodes, but just about um, adaptation, fuel sources that your body's using, and how you look at the mm-hmm. elite athletes, especially elite endurance athletes, how fat efficient they are, and they're they're going to spare their their sugar and their glycogen, mm-hmm. and they'll use it when they need it, but they can. Um, they can push it a little bit and still stay kind of fat, exactly. um, fat adapted. And so that the second one that I do, uh, and we kind of most athletes do this uh, more so, it, not really for weight loss, but for if you're training for a 5K to marathon or mm-hmm. or OCR uh, event, I do. It's either maximal or submaximal VO2 max mm-hmm. testing. So VO2 is the amount of oxygen that you basically are able to consume during exercise, mm-hmm. where VO2 max is the maximal amount of oxygen that you consume. So the higher your VO2 max ability is, the more oxygen you consume, the more work you're able to do. Mm-hmm. And so with the test, we or we measure VO2 max. And what it comes down to, that that's really not the important number. Mm-hmm. You know, that gives me the kind of the size of your engine. Yeah. But within that, there's several things that we're measuring that are I think are more important to somebody's training uh, that they're going to change or make changes to. Mm-hmm. Is your aerobic threshold. Mm-hmm. Or VT1, as it's you know known in the exercise physiology, and uh, your anaerobic threshold, which is uh, VT2, and then just like with the metabolic, the resting metabolic testing, measuring the amount of CO2, we can then tell you how efficient you are at your aerobic threshold, how efficient you are at your anaerobic threshold, mm-hmm. and then kind of say see the changes with training. Awesome. So so just uh, we don't have to go into crazy physiology here, but. Um, just so people have an idea, what what types of thing, or, or what are we looking at with your aerobic threshold and anaerobic threshold? What what makes mm-hmm. those specific things important? So the aerobic threshold basically is the point where, if you go above the anaerobic, the sorry, the, if you go above the aerobic threshold, you know lactate starts to accumulate mm-hmm. in the bloodstream, and then you know, eventually it's you know non-linear, so it increases the harder you work, the quicker the lactic acid builds up, and then the capacity to do work diminishes Mm -hmm. um so when you're training at your aerobic threshold people often neglect this you know it's my fat burning zone but they Mm -hmm. they train harder than that they don't really spend enough time becoming efficient with their aerobic capacity Mm -hmm. and you know by training at your aerobic threshold you're going to become uh have a better running economy Mm -hmm. or you know if you're cyclist a cycling economy basically Mm -hmm. economy of exercise yeah um you're going to increase things like your mitochondrial density mm-hmm. you know with with training mitochondrial density i believe has been shown to increase twofold mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. from aerobic training you're increased capillary density you're becoming more efficient at burning fat and carbohydrate than carbohydrates i've seen people come in to do their test at their aerobic threshold then we look at their respiratory exchange ratio which is the amount of co2 to o2 and they're burning at, at aerobic 80 percent fat or mm-hmm. sorry 80 percent carbohydrates 20 percent mm-hmm. fat Again, you would like that reverse. I've seen guys come in 
because they thought they had a problem with their metabolism because they were never hungry. Yeah, yeah. After talking to them about their training and what they ate, I kind of had a feeling they were pretty efficient, but we did the test. You know, a gentleman was burning about 100% fat at mm-hmm. rest. Mm-hmm. That's kind of obvious. Yeah, hey, you're never hungry. You yeah. can do lots of work <laughs> at low intensity for a long, prolonged period of time. Yeah, yeah. And so with better aerobic training, that builds the the ability to work at higher intensities with less effort, mm-hmm. which then means you can work at those higher intensities for longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why the aerobic training is important. Um, and then with the anaerobic training, the idea with that is when people work hard for high intensity training, I think you wanted to talk about this a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. And that you know that you actually are training at the higher end of your capacity. Yeah, yeah. And so that way it allows us to be able to handle higher lactic acid uh, mm-hmm. content streams so you can work harder at those highest intensities for yeah. longer. Okay, perfect. And I, I like that you bring this up, that how both of these numbers are important mm-hmm. because with um, you know with all the articles and magazines and blog posts, we hear the, the high-intensity craze going on. And obviously, high-intensity has a, a tremendous amount of benefit. Mm-hmm. But then we have that pendulum swing like we see in the, the fitness and performance yeah. world where some research is showing the benefits of something. So now we think this is all we need to do. Exactly. And we forget, what about all the benefits of the other side of the pendulum? And um, that's something I really, when uh, when I first did this test with you, I really saw where I was lacking. And it was really both sides of the spectrum, which I thought was interesting. Um, so let's, I, I do want to talk about high intensity okay. versus low intensity, but let's let's just get into uh, uh, the procedure a little bit. Uh, okay. In the show notes, I'm going to post the video kind of highlights of, of uh Dan actually taking me through the test so you can see what it's going to look like. But let's just talk real quick, like how what's the setup look like, what, what you can expect if you're going to go through this test, and then let's go through the results a little bit. From okay, there. that sounds great. So so Mike and I did a treadmill mm-hmm. uh, VO2 max test, and a lot of times people are scared by VO2 max, thinking that they have to go as hard as they can. The idea is you go as hard as you're able. We can kind of extrapolate your mm-hmm. maximum, but that's really, like I said before, not the most important yeah, yeah. number that I'm looking for. I'm looking for things like your aerobic threshold, your anaerobic threshold, and how efficient you are. But um, so we did a treadmill test, mm-hmm. and that starts off with we're gonna fit you with a, an oxygen mask. So mm-hmm. if you ever seen, I use Gatorade commercials. You yeah, see yeah, the yeah. athletes running on a treadmill with a mask on connected to hoses. So we kind of set you up like that. Uh, we're having a heart rate monitor on, and we're gonna we took you through a um, a one minute increment uh, treadmill test. So basically mm-hmm. every minute. We increase the intensity, mm-hmm. um, and depending on your ability level, we start with a walk, and then you we stay at a walk and we increase the incline. Or for ath- you know athletes like yourself, you know we'll go up to a higher speed mm-hmm. on the treadmill, and then we'll increase the incline every minute mm-hmm. until you're not able to go anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a way to increment incrementally increase the intensity to get you to work to your maximum capacity. Yeah, and it, and it does get pretty challenging. It's uh, I hate to admit it, but I did not finish the test. I had a, to quit a little bit early because it was just, you know, obviously there's a safety aspect. You there could run safety. until you, uh, you're you ready to fall off. Yeah. Um, and then the, you even mentioned in the video, um, so guys, definitely check that out, talking about the mental side of it too, where it's yeah. just hard to push yourself as hard as you can. A lot of times, the first time somebody does a VO2 max test, they're not sure how hard they can work. Yeah. They're not really ready to, to work that hard you know, mm-hmm. they don't realize that maximal effort is pretty hard to, yeah. to do especially for one minute or at least try to do it for a minute um, and that's why we have different intensity levels but usually the first time people don't do as good as they would the second time they do yeah, it because yeah. you know the mask 
it's not natural. Oh yeah, they yeah. have to run with a mask. It, it's not that heavy, but it you it's notice it. Hot. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. awkward. Um, if you're claustrophobic, you know that may get you. It doesn't mm-hmm. cover your whole face. It just kind of covers your nose, your mouth. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different than just going out for a run. But you know that we do have to be able to collect the information, the mm-hmm. data, you know, the oxygen that you're breathing. So the mask has to cover your entire face, or so your your entire nose and mouth. It's got to be pretty tight so that we know air escapes. That way, yeah. that goes into the tube down to the gas exchange analyzer, so we collect all of that data. So mm-hmm. if there's any air escaping, it's going to skew the results. Yeah, yeah. So um, so essentially you're, you're running, It's every minute it's going to get harder until either the, the you can't go anymore until the testing ends, uh, the computer is connected to the hose and it's collecting the gas exchange and all the data, mm-hmm. and then it's pretty cool. It basically is telling you, you can, you can see right there on the chart, uh, all of your numbers. Uh, yeah, as it's live, you know, I can see your heart rate. I can see the your VO two. I can see the amount of CO two uh, you're doing. I can see um, your respiratory exchange ratio, whether you're burning fats and carbohydrates, but mm-hmm. just mainly measuring those uh, the CO two and the O two. So there's a lot of instantaneous data, and then yeah. um, at the end, it kind of compiles it, and we get an, an average and um, kind of determine what your aerobic threshold or anaerobic threshold. Okay, perfect. So let's, uh, we have my results. So let's kind of yeah. just talk a little bit about what, um, what you found with me, because mm-hmm. I think, um, it'll just be good to people see kind of the information that you get. And then, uh, yeah. when we did this, especially when we originally did this, you gave me some specific recommendations mm-hmm. that I really, I, I tried to apply the best I could. And then the second time we did it, we saw differences, which was obviously yeah. the whole point of training. So, so um, before we did the VO2 test, what were you doing as far as so very before the very first time yeah it was minimal most of my training was geared toward the strength side of it if i was doing any running it was kind of hey i have some time i'm gonna go out on a run and it was pretty much i'm just gonna go as hard as i feel like i can for as long as i can and that was pretty much it it was never super high intensity it was just i'm gonna push it for however hard i feel like i can go right now and that was kind of the extent of my no specific training no specific yeah i didn't have like hey week one, week two, week three, here's mm-hmm. the progression I'm going to go through. It was really like, all right, I know I need to get a run or two yeah. in this week, so I'm just going to get out there and do something. And that's the thing I think people often think, don't realize is having a plan doesn't mean every single run, every single work day has to be written out in stone. Mm-hmm. You have to know what you're trying to accomplish over a certain period of time mm-hmm. and then go out and do that. It doesn't have to be, you know, if one day you're not feeling it, don't do it that day. Yeah, you know, if yeah. you miss a workout, that's fine. But when you're training low intensity train low intensity mm-hmm. if you're trying to build aerobic base. If you're going to train high intensity, it's got to be high intensity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, um, I think uh, Maffetone and um, a few other guys, the primal endurance guys, they call it like the the gray zone or like the junk zone. Yeah, and yeah, you're training yeah. between that aerobic threshold and that anaerobic threshold. Where that's where most people train. Mm-hmm. Man, I got a good sweat in. You know, I'm, I'm sweating. It was hard. They could have obviously gone a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're doing an hour of high intensity work. Mm-hmm. If you knew an hour of high intensity work, you you, were, you weren't working <laughs> high intensity. Yeah. Um, but they weren't. They were training too hard for aerobic and not hard enough for to be true high intensity or anaerobic. Okay. Let Let's actually, since we keep bringing it up, let's yeah. just talk about. Let's give uh, the listeners some definitions. What does high intensity mean? What does low intensity mean? Because um, I think this is something that people they kind of get and and they hear that word yeah. and it's like oh high means hard. Low means easy, yeah. and that's kind of as far as they go. But still, they go out there and and like you said, they're kind of in that gray area most of the time. Like I was. Yeah. Uh, so low intensity. If if you're using a heart rate monitor, it's a lot easier once you measure. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's your aerobic threshold. Um, 
it's the point where at that intensity, you're you're not really building up or accumulating lactic acid, mm-hmm. so that way you can maintain that for a prolonged period of time, and you're mm-hmm. utilizing primarily fat as a fuel source. You are using multiple sources mm-hmm. of, of energy, fats, you know, uh, and carbs and proteins and, and you know the lactic acid that's developed, but yeah, but primarily it should come from fat. Um, the high intensity is is basically around 95, 90 to 95% of your maximum mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should only be able to do that for anywhere for 10 to 30 seconds yeah, yeah. at a time. Um, and that's, I think, you know, true max high mm-hmm. intensity interval training. It's short duration, mm-hmm. maximal effort. Yeah, yeah. And low intensity is it's low. You should be able to do it for a very, very long period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you keep at that intensity, but then you start to get slower and slower and your heart rate keeps increasing, then you've got a rub above that aerobic threshold. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the interesting thing is when you know when we work with clients, we'll see that why they kind of gear towards that gray area because as, as, although it may be hard for you, that's kind of the easy area for most people mm-hmm. to hit because high intensity is very very uncomfortable and yeah. like like you said, it's you can only spend a little bit of time there, and you're thinking, am I going to throw up sometimes? Am I going to hurt myself? Obviously, there's yeah. lots of other mental aspects of it yeah. that's going to come up, making it really difficult. And then that low intensity, especially for most likely many of our listeners, they they enjoy working out and they enjoy pushing themselves. And to have to hit a low mm-hmm. intensity where you're like comfortable talking and and not, it's, we always get that more is better, harder yeah. is better. It's hard to stay at that low intensity. I have to often tell my clients and even myself when I'm doing my low mm-hmm. intensity, it's actually going to be easier than you thought. You'll finish an hour run, let's say you run for yeah, an hour. Yeah. It should feel like, like you could have done another hour, another yeah. two hours, mm-hmm. and you're actually going to be slower than your normal comfortable running pace, mm-hmm. especially the first time you do yeah. the um, the low-intensity uh, aerobic training. You have to throw the ego out oh, of yeah. the equation mm-hmm. because you're, you'll are you be running out there. Say you run normally a nine-minute mile. Mm-hmm. You can do seven, eight, nine you know, yeah. miles like that. But now, the first time you do aerobic training, your aerobic threshold will say is 135. Well, at 135 beats per minute you might be running an 11 or 12 minute mile mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're feeling extremely slow like what is this doing this isn't oh, doing yeah. anything for me but yeah. what you're doing is you're making sure that you're staying at that aerobic threshold where you're challenging those aerobic energy systems and by challenging those aerobic energy systems that's when you adapt mm-hmm. when you go above it well then you're like your body's thinking oh you know we need more carbohydrates now we're going to switch mm-hmm. more to you know a glycolytic energy system carbs yeah so then you've already started training different energy systems. Yeah, so you yeah, gotta yeah, stay yeah. right where you are. I mean, it's gonna be, I tell people you have to throw your ego out of the window. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're, you know, 30 years old and you're running 12 minute mile and you're getting <laughs> passed by, you know, somebody 40, 50 years older than you, I could pass them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that doesn't mean you're not doing the right thing. It just means exactly. you're training a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's such a good point because I, I'll get caught in that where I'm, I'm seeing my pace and I'm like, yeah, I'll be at like nine or 10 minutes and I know if I'm gonna run a five or a 10K, I'm. Mm-hmm you know, seven or eight minutes, something like that, pretty comfortably. And I'm like, I'm getting slower. And, and it's hard to break that mentality where I'm, I'm training slow, I'm going to perform slower. But it's not just about your pace, it's about all the adaptations that are occurring. And a lot of times when people do running programs, there's focus on the mileage. Um, and one of the running programs we're doing right now, I've got a, a group of half marathoners and marathoners. I've switched over to not really a mileage base, but a time-based. Mm-hmm. Because it's more important what we're trying to do during your your runs than the amount of miles you go. Yeah, now, yeah. A, a, a faster person will be able to do more miles mm-hmm. during that aerobic phase versus somebody you know who's slower, but they're still getting the same amount of time in there and working in that energy system. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, perfect. So let's go back to the test and just okay. looking at some of the numbers. So when you when you look at my results, what are what are what are you looking at basically? Okay, so what we're looking at the three main numbers or the two main numbers I'm looking for are your aerobic threshold and your anaerobic threshold. Okay. Um, and then kind of a third number which people would say, oh, what's my VO2 max? You know, what's mm -hmm. my maximal effort? Well, that's not really as important. Yeah. You know, it yeah. kind of gives you the size of your engine. It's kind of... That's just what people describe. want to brag about. That's what they want to brag yeah, about. Yeah. You know, if you're, I've had a couple of guys that come in, like, they came in, three of them, and they wanted to see who had the highest VO2 max. Yeah. Okay, great. If you yeah. want to see <laughs> how hard you work, we'll, we'll put you through the gauntlet. But what we're looking for is your aerobic threshold, and the numbers I'm looking for there are kind of what your heart rate is at your aerobic threshold. Mm -hmm. Um, what your anaerobic threshold is um, and what your heart rate is there and then what your peak the peak is kind of your measured VO2 mm -hmm. now if you stop the test you can't go any further the peak is going to be your VO2 max mm -hmm. um, but if you know like man I could have gone five beats per minute yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, harder I know I can do that mm -hmm. or you know next time I'm going to go further you know your VO2 max might actually be a little bit Maybe higher. you're having a cramp or like yeah. not feeling it that day or something exactly so, yeah. so, so the aerobic and anaerobic threshold um, and so when we get your aerobic threshold, let's say yours, for example, is 147. And that's actually pretty, that's a pretty high number. Um, mm -hmm. You'll find some of these elite ultra-endurance athletes, uh, runners, you know, um, probably in the 150s and 160s. Wow. And they're still in their aerobic threshold. That's awesome. No, they're, yeah. they're anomalies. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, like yeah, your yeah. elite Nordic cross-country skiers mm -hmm. and your elite ultra-marathon runners. Um, but having yours is 147. Is, is pretty high. Mm -hmm. um, and that's at about, your measured was about 180 beats per minute was your maximum, uh, your peak value. So 147, that's around, I'll say 80% of your, your measured. And so that's pretty good. So you so uh, I'm hitting like kind of that aerobic threshold at 147 beats per minute. Yes. With roughly 80% 80, 80 for me. Yes. Okay. Um, of your of your measured max. So we may, may have had a higher measure, maybe 185. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, most people that aerobic, that VT1, it's right around that 65%, 60 to 60% on mm -hmm. average. A mm -hmm. trained individual, someone like you, you know, can go higher and mm -hmm. still be at the aerobic threshold. So I'm still burning fat or high, high percentage higher of percentage fat. Higher percentage of fat. Yeah. And let's look at that. So the second number we look at is your respiratory exchange ratio. Okay. The, um, the ratio of, of CO2 to O2. And at um, your aerobic threshold, you're around a 0.7, which is about 100% mm -hmm. um, fat. Yeah. So at your threshold, you're burning fat. Obviously, you guys can't see Mike right now, but <laughs> he is no fat on his body. You know, we all do have a fat yeah, inside yeah, the yeah, body, yeah. but you, know, you have low body fat. So yeah. it shows that, you know, you're able to use fat as a fuel mm -hmm. source mm -hmm. pretty efficiently. And so now let's look at the, the anaerobic threshold. So the anaerobic threshold is kind of your highest amount where you've gone past fat burning capacity and you should be burning mostly carbohydrates, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. sugars at this point. And a ratio of one, so you know, CO2 O2 uh, ratio of one is about 100% carbohydrates, and that's also how we know you've pretty much gone to your VO2 max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is when you get to one or even higher than mm -hmm. one, um, mm -hmm. you know, that lactate threshold. Um, and yours burning at um, your your anaerobic threshold was 176 beats per minute, so around 98% okay. of your your measured max. Okay. Um, and your RER is about 0.92, so you're burning close to, I think, around, I don't have the formula for me, around 90% uh, carbohydrates. Yeah, okay. At that at that point. So, so still burning a little bit of fat, but... A little almost, bit of fat, but almost, almost exclusively yeah, carbohydrates. Yeah. And for me, 
we have very similar aerobic and anaerobic thresholds, actually. Mm-hmm. Very, mm-hmm. very close. That's where I'm, my aerobic training is around 147 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. And same thing, my peak is around 170. My anaerobic is 176. My peak is around 182. <laughs> but I'm a sugar burner. Yeah. You know, and I know this. And I'm trying to change it. So at mine, I'm burning, at my aerobic threshold, my body wants to burn around 75% okay. fats and mm-hmm. 25% carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I get to my um, uh, carbohydrate burning zone a lot quicker than you do yeah, but yeah i've trained my body to be able to sustain that for a prolonged mm-hmm. period of time mm-hmm. um but i'm trying to work on yeah yeah taking in the fats part of it has to do with the diet too oh, not yeah. just Obviously, the yeah. training i love beer and pizza <laughs> so if you keep feeding you know the sugars your body doesn't have to rely on fat mm-hmm. exactly as, yeah. as much on the fuel source um yeah so those are your results so you're, you're very efficient at burning fat in your low intensity zone doesn't mean we can't improve your aerobic threshold mm-hmm. um it just means you're already efficient at you know, your energy use there, your running economy is, yeah, is, yeah. is pretty good. Um, and those are some of the factors that affect your performance. It's your VO2 max, your running economy, and as well as your ability to um, perform at your anaerobic threshold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where the high intensity training comes into play. Yeah, so yeah. if you only train at your anaerobic threshold, hey, you can do it, but you don't have a solid aerobic base, yeah, which means yeah. you can't work that anaerobic threshold for as long as you would if you'd spend a lot of time mm-hmm. really perfecting your aerobic base. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the great thing about this, now when we get, we can take this test and very easily apply it to a training program where I have some numbers now that I can mm-hmm. shoot for. So I know if I want to stay around my aerobic threshold, you know, I, I went out and got a heart rate monitor and I just think it's something, you know, everybody should probably invest in something that you can, can get them really cheap. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, I have a specific goal now and then now I know because sometimes you get distracted maybe you're listening to music and something's firing you up a little bit it's like but hold on you know this is my uh, my aerobic training day I need to mm-hmm. drop that down slow it down I've even walked on a couple runs because I found myself yeah especially if there's a little bit of an incline exactly yeah yeah it's rare that we're going to find just a flat run around here so um, I see a hill and I hate to do it you know just because of that ego but yeah I'm going to walk now just to make sure my heart rate stays and I know 147 so I'm just trying to keep it as close to that number yeah. If possible. you train too low, then you're not challenging anything. You're not stressing the body. Then yeah. you're not going to adapt, right? If you're yeah. 147, but you're running at a 125, or you're walking, yeah, you're you know you're burning mostly fat. You know you're you're mm-hmm. not stressing the body, burning calories, but you're not challenging that, challenging that aerobic system. Yeah, um, and that's how the body adapts. Yeah, through stress. Exactly. Um, and same on the other end. For my high intensity, I have numbers that I'm trying to shoot for. So yeah. I know if I'm not hitting those numbers, mm-hmm. uh, it could be maybe today wasn't the best day to do my my high intent, maybe I didn't get enough yeah. sleep, maybe my diet wasn't that great that day, wasn't feeling it or whatever, and that's why it's so important to track mm-hmm. that stuff, recovery, how you feel, so I can hit these yeah. days. There's a lot of um, discussion about you know, the 80-20 rule, you mm-hmm. know, 80% low intensity, 20% high, 20% high intensity, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that debunk that, oh, if it's gonna be low intensity, it's gotta be 100% low intensity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna be high intensity, all of your training should be high intensity. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's arguments on both sides of that, and you can delve deep into the physiology, but when I do my training, I try to do chunks of aerobic training for four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's all my runs are low intensity. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when I do my high intensity training, I try to have a majority of my um, work at high intensity, where yeah. it's running stairs, um, speed work, Tabata exercises, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, any other high intensity, you know, track exercises, maximal work. And then after a period of about three to four weeks there, I'll take a recovery week and then I go back to another phase of aerobic training. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but this varies depending on when the next race you have, how long you have to train for mm-hmm. your race, what your specific needs are. 
Um, it just varies from person to person. Sure, and maybe how long you've been doing a particular program too. If yeah. you've never done something like that and you're always trying to do a little bit of everything, maybe that would be a nice... A beginner would benefit from spending a lot more time building their aerobic base. Absolutely. The best yeah. way to run faster is to run slower. Yeah, and that's a really hard concept yeah. for people to grasp. If you go straight into it running, doing sprints because you're doing a 5K, I mean, you're going to fatigue. There's a lot of stress on the body, the joints, the muscles... Um, but if you spend a lot of time really building that aerobic base, you'll be surprised how quickly you'll be able to run at higher intensities with less, less yeah. effort. You know? yeah. yeah, and that's pretty much the goal of our programs mm -hmm. is to be able to do what you're currently doing with less effort yeah. the next time you do it and then constantly improving. So when race day comes, you can push the envelope a little bit and your pace is going to dramatically improve there. Exactly. Awesome. So um, as we wrap this up a little bit, um, so it, this is a test that I just, you know, kind of like a heart rate monitor. I just recommend if, if you have access to it and most likely somewhere around you, and we'll talk a little bit about where you can go to get tested. Yeah. Um, there, there's places you can find to do this. Uh, what, let's say just right, like right now somebody wanted to maybe just get a ballpark of some of these numbers. What would be, what, what should they consider at least? To, you know for figuring out their yeah. threshold um, getting a heart rate monitor is number one yeah. you can get them cheap for $25-30 dollars yeah. a polar heart rate and it works with most cardio uh, equipment so that's why I like polar mm -hmm. so if you are on a treadmill day or if you're doing elliptical you can still do aerobic training because mm -hmm. your polar heart rate most likely will pick up on um, the exercise machine um, so heart rate monitor um, and if you're able to come in and to do a VO2 max test or you know or find somebody to do it for you that'd be great if not there are some calculations that you can use to determine what your aerobic threshold is. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe Maffetone's is 180 beats per minute minus your age. Okay. Say we'll say a 30 year old. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so it'd be 180 minus 30, so 150. That's still pretty high, in, mm -hmm. in my opinion. It's yeah, still yeah, probably yeah. a little bit too high for most people. But so if you're untrained, you probably would either take away five or ten beats per minute. Okay. From that. So if you're a beginner, I would take away ten beats. Mm -hmm per minute go with 140 yeah um, if you haven't trained in a while but you've had previous experience and if you look up maffetone heart rate training uh, to give you exact details on, sure yeah on, but and we'll put links in so people can check yeah, it out um, I think it'll be around we'll say 145 yeah. now for some who have been training for an extended period of time go with that 150 number yeah. but again with formulas it's not an actual measurement mm -hmm. it could be five beats too high five beats too low yeah um so expect a little trial and error as you exactly. do that because you might find like, yeah, you're exhausted by the end of the, that, mm -hmm. that run or whatever, so you need to adjust it. Yeah. Next but time. as long as you, you have a number in your, and it's the right intensity for you, low intensity, and you just stay right there. Mm -hmm. Just don't let your ego take you above it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. For an extended period of time. Okay. You, you'll improve. Okay, cool. Uh, so what if, uh, um, so I'm going to put a link in our show notes. So if anybody listening in is in Southern California area and wants to go through this testing program, uh, you can actually schedule an appointment to meet with Dan, and um, he can set up a time and, and go over and, and talk to you and just make sure this would yeah. be a good fit for what you're trying to do. Uh, but if they're not in the Southern California Center, we have listeners from all over, uh, where would you recommend they kind of go look for something like this? Yeah, so what you're looking for is most commonly known as a VO2 max test. You can do it on a bike. You can do it on a treadmill. Um, really, you can do a Google search. The equipment that I use is from a company called Core, K-O-R-R. Um, and you can go to their website, core.com, K-O-R-R.com, and under researches or um, under contact, you should be a facility finder or get tested, and it'll allow you to put in your zip code and kind of see who's in your area. Okay. 
But um, yeah, you want to look for somebody who has experience doing metabolic uh, testing and VO2 max testing. Okay, perfect. All right. Uh, so like I said, we'll put the links in the show notes. You can check uh, uh, check that out for everything that we talked about in this interview. Plus, if you are in the area and want to schedule an appointment, definitely go check that out. Like I said, you know, if nothing else, if you're not training with a heart rate monitor, that's a great place to start and just mm-hmm. see. Um, you might notice kind of what I was noticing at first is every run I was doing, I was pretty much at the same heart rate. And I think I, that's one of the main reasons I wasn't seeing the progress. Yeah, so people think accumulate, you know, uh, thinking that accumulating sweat and you know having a challenging workout, but not the most maximal effort or yeah, not too yeah, easy yeah. is the best workout. Exactly. Oh, I got a great sweat in there mm-hmm. and I was pretty tired, but yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you, you burn? To- you burn some calories, but if we're looking for that adaptation, yeah. What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I'll actually put, uh, put my results in the show notes as well. So you can actually sure. see from the first test to the to the second test uh, with the changes that I made that I had some pretty significant progress there. And, you know, obviously I'm noticing it in my, my running, my racing, and just everywhere. It's, it's made a big difference. So um, anything I forgot or any closing words before we sign off? No, I think that you pretty much covered um, all the main points uh, we talked about before and about getting too scientific yeah, and yeah, yeah. talking about different enzymes and things like that but it doesn't have to be complicated yeah uh, just try to you know get a heart monitor mm-hmm. see what you're able to do you know and go from there all right awesome thanks so much for uh, taking the time today my pleasure all right guys well that's going to do it for episode 42 of the ocr underground show thank you so much for tuning in i hope you picked up a couple tips strategies and insights to really maximize your training and to get a little bit smarter with how you put together your program. Don't forget to visit the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode 42 for any links mentioned in the show uh, for uh, the podcast talking about iron deficiency and anemia that I did uh, a while back with coach Anne LaRue with some of the um, formulas and other recommendations that coach Chamber gave about getting metabolic testing. And actually, if you're in the SoCal area and want to get Uh, tested from him or figure out where you can get this metabolic testing done again check out the show notes for all the links mentioned so uh, again big thanks to coach Schamberg as well as SGX coach Juan Pablo Arias with giving us a great race recap for the spot uh, Spartan Lake Tahoe World Championships don't forget if you did like this episode or any of our previous episodes please give us a a rating a review in iTunes let us know how we did and also subscribe subscribe to the to the uh, podcast so you're going to get any of the newest episodes downloaded right to your phone so you can listen when you're driving working out however you might listen to the show all right well that's going to do it for this week's episode uh we'll be back again soon and until then keep training smarter